0: That's NOom.com dot com to sign up for your trial today.
1: What's good y'all and hi friends, Schwebzy here doing an unexpected solo episode as Jordan is dealing with the after effects of a freak vegan biscuits and gravy accident at the restaurant he works at. He was developing his special secret menu and tragedy struck. The good news is that in spite of all of his third degree gravy burns from being coated in magma-esque vegan gravy his vocal cords are fine and unharmed and he should be back on the show and potting in no time at all make sure you tweeted him and wish him back to full health so that he can feel the love of our listeners as he recovers from his gravy mishap if you do want to reach out to him or me or us you can find us on twitter at at Schwebsi for me s-h-w-e-b-s-i at bunt singles for jordan or on our joint podcast account at In the Deep PL. And please, if you like the episode, leave a review on Spotify, Apple, or Stitcher. But be gentle because I'm, you know, we're, we're at we're at half capacity. We're at fifty percent potential this week, as uh, arguably less than fifty percent, as I'm missing my better half. Now, just because I'm alone doesn't mean you're not going to get your usual good in the deep content. I'm going to do basically just half of what we would do if uh Jordan was here. We're going to do one deep dive and then I'm going to kind of take a tour around the league and look at any interesting sub 20% things going on around the league. So yeah, we're we're getting half of our normal amount of deep dives, but hopefully uh hopefully you guys won't miss out too much on that. We can just we can probably just safely assume that Jordan would do a deep dive on like I don't know, like Alex Wood or or just pick a brewer pick any brewer and uh, pretend you you heard 10 minutes of deep dive on one of them let's say let's say uh joey joey weimer let's say we got a joey weimer deep dive from jordan now me i had a tough week this week choosing who i wanted to talk about it, w- it was really tough to choose just one player but i wanted to go with a golden oldie who is producing surprisingly well so far and is going to remain worth your time as long as he stays upright, which isn't always a guarantee for this player in recent years. And if Golden Oldie didn't give it away, we're going to be talking about Andrew McCutcheon today. Get it? Golden? Pirates? Yellow? You you get it. Anyways, I I wanted to talk about Kutch, because being a 36-year-old corner outfielder, he's kind of an afterthought these days. He had like a 425 ADP, And especially with his return to Pittsburgh, which some folks might just see as a nice little retirement tour for the franchise that he used to star for, a la Albert Pujols last year. I'm here to tell you, though, McCutcheon is very far from washed, and he could actually be a meaningful contributor for fantasy teams this year, a la Albert Pujols last year. This is Kutch's 15th year in the majors, and to this point, he has been a below average hitter exactly one time last year when he put up a 98 WRC plus, which is barely below league average. Even in his career worst year last year, he still put up 17 home runs with eight steals and 135 runs in RBI. That's that's kind of his thing these days. He's got 20-ish home run power, he's got double-digit stolen base speed, and he's a respected veteran, so he plays every day, every day that he's healthy, and he generally plays in pretty good lineup spots. I don't really expect that opportunity to ever be in question this year, because even with the Pirates' surprising 8-6 start, I expect the team-wide expectations to be pretty low as the year goes on, and I expect for Kutch to remain a stalwart in the lineup. So far, in every game that Kutch has played in, he's been either in the 2-3 or spot in the order, and he's split his time pretty much 50-50 between right field and DH. The Pirates have been really good about giving him a day off or a DH game after playing the field, and that kind of shows that they're being very mindful of keeping him on the field at, like as much as they possibly can. I think we can continue to expect these maintenance days going forward. Uh, it, it's kind of popular in the NBA these days. I think we can expect some load management for McCutcheon, uh, but, and Like every day that he's had off so far, there have not been any injury updates to go along with these days off. So it doesn't appear that he's hurting. It just appears that, you know, they're trying to take care of their, you know, franchise star. Now, remember, as with all of these early season episodes, we have not hit the stabilization point for any of the stats that I'm about to talk about. And even if we had... Stabilization just lets you talk about stats with a certain level of reliability, not certainty. It's always important to remember the context of the stats we're talking about. And with that disclaimer out of the way, let's get to the fun stuff. Let's irresponsibly use small sample sizes. And my single favorite small sample size nonsense from Kutch's page right now, is the fact that at the moment, he ranks in the 84th percentile in outs above average after being 5th and 6th percentile the last two times he qualified. Now, did, did Andrew McCutcheon suddenly become an elite fielder? No. And that's exactly what I'm getting at with the earlier spiel. These early season numbers are, are pretty fluid. They're going to change dramatically by the end of the year. But I digress. Kutch has had some really interesting results at the plate so far this year. And that's what I'm here to talk about. We don't care about his defense. We care about his bat. Early on this year, he's showing his usual pristine eye at the plate. He's chasing 10% less than the league average, while at the same time making contact in the zone almost 89% of the time. That's a new wrinkle for him if it holds up, as McCutcheon has never had a zone contact rate over 83.6% in the StatCast era. So he's forgetting on base. He's doing some of the best things that you can do as a hitter, Like at an elite level, he's not chasing. He's making contact on balls in the zone. And that has resulted in an insane, absolutely insane, 21.3% walk rate and a 451 OBP. Now, that's obviously inflated right now. We can see that with his 354 Wobacon, which shows that he's not really doing a great job of impacting the ball. Unfortunately for his future results... One of the other best things that a hitter can do is hit the ball hard consistently. And McCutcheon is not really doing that right now. His average exit velo is fine, but his max exit velo is the lowest it's ever been by a couple of miles per hour. And his hard hit rate is 4% lower than his career low. So he's right now great at getting on base. The BABIP is a little bit higher than it normally would be for him. Like hit, His BABIP is kind of where it was earlier in his career when he was a much better hitter. But now he's like more of like a 260, 275 BABIP guy. And he's currently floating around 355. So that batting average is going to come down. A really fun part of his current production so far this year is that he's only whiffing on fastballs 7.7% of the time which is doing a lot of the heavy lifting on that zone contact rate I mentioned earlier. McCutcheon isn't a destroyer of fastballs like last week's deep dive focus Jorge Soler, but he's putting up a pretty sick 427 xwoba against the pitch right now. That wouldn't be a career-high figure, but it would be close. Like everything we've talked about, things need to settle and normalize here, Like, Kutch has seen a higher rate of fastballs than he ever has before. I don't expect that to continue. I don't think the league has suddenly decided, let's throw Andrew McCutcheon a bunch of fastballs. I I don't expect that to hold up. In very good news for his fantasy production, McCutcheon has not lost a step on the base pads. He's already got three stolen bases on this young season, and he has an 80th percentile sprint speed still. He seems like a virtual lock for double-digit steals, And with the new rules and league-wide steal frenzy, he might even reach 15 for the first time since 2014. I think when it's all said and done, what we're looking at here is pretty much good old Kutch. There are some interesting outlier things going on right now in his profile in both positive and negative directions, but I really do expect a lot of that to even out as the year goes along. I think that similar to his speed, Cutch just hasn't lost a step from the last few years. He's part of an archetype of player that we really like here on In the Deep. The veteran who's was really good for a long time, and now he's just okay, so people kind of forget about him. A full season of Andrew McCutcheon probably looks like a 240 or 250 hitter with 20 home runs, 15 stolen bases, and 160 runs in RBI. Now, that wouldn't just play in deep leagues. That would be must roster. You're not going to get those numbers probably because there's just no chance that he plays 155 games. But as long as you pay attention and, you know, sub him out when he sits, you know, this is obviously a bonus for you daily league players and guys who pay attention, but you know, just uh, as long as you're on top of the lineups and playing him when he plays and taking advantage of those numbers, he'll be a great asset to your fantasy team all year long. And that's it for our deep dive this week. We're going to head on to our league-wide roundup, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick ad break.
0: Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, It's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N O O M.com to sign up for your trial today. and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part, you decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of four thousand two hundred and seventy-two Noomers, ninety-eight percent say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today.
1: All right, welcome back. As I said before, we're going to do our league-wide roundup now. We're going to start in the NL then head over to the AL. We are not going to hit all 30 teams just because there isn't someone I find interesting for, you know, sub 20% rostership on all 20 teams. But we're going to we're going to hit on all the players that I find interesting across the league this week. We're going to start with the NL East with the Atlanta Braves. We're going to start in their bullpen where Nick Anderson picked up a stray save the other day. And I I know we, we see a reliever get a save and immediately want to start a feeding frenzy and, and add that reliever. I do like Nick Anderson, but more of a save hold and ratios guy. Because we do expect Rysel Iglesias to come back sooner rather than later. And even before Rysel Iglesias comes back, Nick Anderson still has, you know, AJ Minter and Joe Jimenez to deal with. I I don't really expect Nick Anderson to get too many more, if any, saves before Iglesias's return. But I do still think he's worth a roster spot. Nick Anderson looks most of the way back, and he used to be just straight up nasty if people don't remember. You know, he currently has a you know a casual 57% whiff rate on his curveball, which is just silly. On the offensive side of things, Sam Hilliard is actually playing every day for the Braves right now. Rockies legend, Sam Hilliard. I'm going to be so mad as both a Mets fan and a Sam Hilliard fan if he finally has his breakout for the Atlanta Braves. Hilliard has started six out of seven games for Atlanta since Michael Harris went on the injured list, and I actually expect Hilliard to be worth a roster spot in five outfielder leagues while Harris is out. He still is who he always was. He is absolutely tooled up beyond belief. He swings and misses like crazy, and on any given day, he might get you a combo meal or a golden sombrero, and I love him dearly for it. Moving to the Southeast and the Miami Marlins, they have a few players who are pretty interesting sub-20% still. Garrett Cooper is... uh, he, he didn't hit the IL, but he did miss a couple of games with injury. He is back. He is still smoking the ball. I will always be a Garrett Cooper stan. I think he's a better average bat than power bat, but he's a very, very good fill-in corner bat if you have someone injured or just if you're struggling to fill the spot. You could do so much worse than Garrett Cooper which I know is not a ringing endorsement, but I do actually like Cooper. He is currently the starting first baseman in my AL only league where I waited too long in my draft and I wound up with like Derek Hall as my as my first baseman. And Garrett Cooper, I think, is going to be even better than I thought Derek Hall was going to be by like a good margin. Then there's Jorge Soler, who is still somehow sub 20 percent. I did my deep dive on him last week. He still crushes fastballs. Jose Alvarado, who is having an absolutely insane year striking people out so far, made the mistake of throwing a fastball in the zone to Jorge Soler, and it resulted in Soler's fourth home run of the year yesterday. Now, in the bullpen, A.J. Puck, for some reason, is not being rostered like a closer, but he is the closer. I have not seen any sort of usage that would suggest... That Dylan Floro is the closer in Miami. Every indication so far has been that it's Puck. And as if to uh to emphasize that, the Marlins won a game by four runs today, and AJ Puck, you know, closed out heavy heavy quotes on close, but uh Puck closed out the four-run win. I think Puck is the guy. He's been a little bit shaky so far, but he's probably the most talented reliever in that bullpen. Maybe Tanner Scott, but Tanner Scott can't stop walking people. I I do like Puck a lot as a as a you know prospective save play for, for this year. If he is still available in your league and you need saves, you should be rushing to pick him up. Moving on to the New York Mets, the near and dear to my heart. I'm just going to talk about Brett Beatty today. Although I think Francisco Alvarez might also be sub 20%. But Brett Beatty, if he's available in your league and I saw he was at 15% on the list I look at, you should be stashing him immediately. Brett Beatty is putting up video game numbers in AAA after being snubbed from the opening day roster, and frankly has made the team look really dumb because Eduardo Escobar has four hits on the whole season, which Beatty did in one game on April 1st, and in general, Beatty just has a 1386 OPS. Brett Beatty's slugging percentage right now is higher than Eduardo Escobar's full-season OPS has ever been. Just do the right thing, Mets. Get Beatty in the majors. And fantasy managers, add Beatty, stash him, and profit later. Now, the Mets rivals, the Philadelphia Phillies, have their own third-base situation going on. They've started playing with, with Derek Hall's injury. They've been playing Alec Boehm at first base more often. And leaving third base open for Edmundo Sosa. And I would love to be more interested in Ed Edmundo Sosa, but he's just not seeing everyday plate appearances, even with Derek Hall on the injured list. I'd be interested if he played every day. Maybe we're going to see him start to hit his way into more playing time. He hit a home run today, but I'm just, I'm just, I'm out on Sosa until I see more plate appearances. Now, in Washington, there's actually a lot of interesting things going on. There's perpetual top five prospect until he finally hit the majors and fell on his face. Victor Robles. I I don't know if Victor Robles has figured it out the way that Kelnick has figured it out, figured it out, but he appears to have figured some things out. He's walking more. He's striking out less. He's hitting the ball harder. Just lots of good stuff going on here with Victor Robles. Now the starting point for him was really really low so even with all of these improvements he's not super fantasy relevant but i would say at this point he's most of the way towards deep league relevance relevancy i'm keeping an eye on him right now for sure and i would add him if i needed speed over in the rotation josiah gray continues to keep his fastball in his pocket it's basically his slider is his most used pitch now and then his curveball and his fastball are tied for like his second most used. He should be using the fastball even less probably, but he is, he's doing great. He's finally doing the thing that we've been wanting him to do for a, a while now and keeping the fastball as a secondary pitch. Basically I'm adding Josiah gray, wherever I can. I think this is a really high upside play here in the area, in the, uh, nationals bullpen Hunter Harvey, uh, was someone that I talked about in the preseason as a a closer candidate because Kyle Finnegan is not very good. The Nationals love bringing Hunter Harvey into games in like the sixth inning after their starter stumbles third time through the order and there are some runners on base and they love bringing Harvey in to bail out the starter. I feel like they trust Harvey in high leverage situations, but they're, they're using him more like a fireman than a closer right now but I I really feel like we're not too many more Finnegan blowups from getting Harvey in the closer role instead of Finnegan. It's just that there's a pretty, pretty big talent disparity here, I feel like. And in bad bullpens, the talent wins out eventually, and the talent is with Harvey. Now, there were also some interesting things elsewhere on the Nationals roster. Stone Garrett had a monster game the other day. And he's interesting, but not playing enough. Lane Thomas is kind of a very blah player who plays all the time. So if you're just trying to get a regular bat in a lineup, Lane Thomas is always competent there. And then there's Alex Call, who is leading off against both lefties and righties right now. There might be something here. He's not a very toolsy player, but he might be a decent OBP and runs scored kind of player, kind of like a a very poor man's Brandon Nimmo. I don't know. I'm I, I have him in a league, but I'm not super excited about it. I I love I love <laughs> I love talking about a player that I'm not really excited about, and then telling you guys should pick him up. I don't like him, but you guys should pick him up. No, he's he's fine. I he's a fill in for me in a league where I have like four injured outfielders but not someone that I'm running out to add. All right, moving over to the NL Central, Jan Gomes just had the game of his life and continues to be one of my favorite two-catcher league guys for if you have no idea what to do with your second catcher spot. I actually have him in my NL-only league, and it's just the the most fun feeling seeing your second catcher just absolutely go off for a game. Two home runs and a stolen base out of your second catcher is just hilariously fun production. Nothing else really uh, interesting for me in Chicago in the sub-20% world, but in Cincinnati, there's some pretty fun stuff. Spencer Steer is still playing every day, and he's even walking 13% of the time, which I really did not expect from him. I'd still say I'm not his biggest fan, but so far he's proving me wrong. Now, in the Cincinnati outfield, there's a uh, there's like I think Jake Fraley is a better player than TJ. Friedel, but Jake Fraley is consistently being benched against lefties while hitting third against righties. So Jake Fraley is going to be like a daily league darling while being a bit frustrating in weekly leagues. Meanwhile, TJ. Friedel is the less talented player who is playing way over his head, but he's playing every day. So you kind of have to ride it while he's doing this well. But in general, for the future for TJ Friedel, he is screaming regression. He's got a first percentile hard hit rate. And it's just, it's really, he's being propped up by his little league ballpark. He does have that 89th percentile sprint speed, which theoretically will help him pick up steals. But Friedel is someone that personally I do not own anywhere, and I don't plan to roster him anywhere. Not my not my cup of tea. I like my guy to I like my players to do at least one thing well at the plate. And I don't think Friedel <laughs> I don't think Friedel fits the category of, of being good at anything, unfortunately. Over in Milwaukee, Joey Weimer is still a really fun, really tooled up player, and He's actually kept his plate discipline numbers in check in his first exposure to the bigs, which is really encouraging. I am not cutting bait yet where I have him. I feel like he might be he might not be long for the majors just due to roster crunch, but I'm I'm holding on to Weimer where I have him. He's actually he's similar to Hilliard in that he could absolutely blow up in any one game or you know strike out three or four times. In, uh in Pittsburgh, uh I, I wish Mitch Keller would just be good already so that I can stop hearing about how good Mitch Keller should be but uh k- kidding aside he's had a really encouraging start to the season and might even be worth an ad against the ice cold cardinals defense defense offense. I wrote down defense in my notes for some reason. Why would I care about the Cardinals defense against Mitch Keller? But uh, I, I don't plan on utilizing that stream. I, I have been Mitch Kellard too many times in my life. I, I will not add him unless I am 100% certain I'm getting a good start. Uh, and then there's Jihuan Bay, And in a fun new development for him, Bay has hit out of the leadoff spot in the Pirates' order the last three games against righties, which immediately makes him more interesting. He, I, I'm a little bit worried that he's... Similar to Friedel in that he doesn't really have any standout skills at the plate, but he is a strong stolen base play if you need them. He has shown a willingness to run like crazy. Then there's Carlos Santana at the corner, and I <laughs> I think Carlos Santana is just like the slow, stocky version of Andrew McCutcheon. He's he's a solid veteran. He's been OK to good forever. And he's he's hitting well right now. He hit well last year, but performed like way under his peripherals. I think he's really where the corner infield spot in really deep leagues. And I I have him in a couple of spots myself. He was a corner infield target for me when I wanted to wait on that spot. One other interesting pitcher for the Pirates is Johan Oviedo. Oviedo absolutely dominated in his start today facing that aforementioned ice cold St. Louis Cardinals offense and striking out 10 in seven innings while only allowing seven base runners for a, a one whip. Man, this is probably the best Oviedo has ever looked, and it's it's definitely the best his sliders ever looked. I know Nicholas Peter Pollock is a big fan. I haven't dug too deep myself, but it's hard to ignore a start like that. It's, it's hard to ignore shutting down a, a good team like that. And then, as for the St. Louis Cardinals themselves, I don't really, I don't have anyone for them this week. Uh, I mean, Burleson is is mildly interesting, but he does not play often enough for for my tastes. And then moving over to the NL West, there's a couple of players that I really like this week from the Arizona Diamondbacks, starting with Dre Jamison, that slider. The Dre Jameson right now, strictly because of that slider, gets the strongest of Schwebzi endorsements. Go out and grab him right now if he's available. His slider has a seventy three point one whiff rate right now. It looks so good that it looks like a typo. I he I I was worried about him pitching against the Brewers because the Brewers have shown the uh, the ability to actually absolutely go off on any pitcher so far, but. Jameson shut them down in four innings. He's currently being stretched out to throw more innings. If Dre Jameson is a regular starter, I'm very in on him. And it's, it's a very high upside play. The other player that I like from the Diamondbacks, who is also a pretty high upside play, is Alec Thomas, a post-hype prospect. Uh, he was actually someone that I considered doing a deep dive on this week. Uh, I was turned on to Alec Thomas by one of our resident geniuses at Pitcherlist, Alexander Chase. Alec Thomas's underwhelming line is masking some really good stuff going on under the hood right now. And if his surface numbers ever catch up to his inputs, there are going to be a lot of people wondering how they forgot about this post type prospect. He's hitting the ball hard consistently, he's making a ton of contact, he's got above average chase numbers. The only real issue here is that it's a style of hitting that I hate. It's when the hitter pulls the ball on the ground all the time and hits it in the air to the opposite field. It's it's what kills players like Max Kepler, even though they look like they should be so much better. But Alec Thomas has enough thump to get the ball out to all parts of the field. But it's just not an ideal approach. And his home ballpark stinks. He's doing some really interesting things in general, though, and I'm trying to buy now while the price is, you know, basically non-existent before the breakout hits. Over in Colorado, I'm mildly interested in Eliheiros Montero and Jureks and Profar. But what's really interesting here for me is Justin Lawrence. He's still my favorite Rockies reliever. I just really hope it's not a similar situation to the Angels where I'm begging for the guy that I like to get saves all year long while an inferior pitcher holds the closer job. I think Justin Lawrence is probably as good or better than Pierce Johnson. And Lawrence seems to have his control under control a a bit more this year compared to prior years. And God, it's just, it's kind of like Herget in Los Angeles where it's just so aesthetically fun that I want Justin Lawrence to succeed because he's a side armor pumping like 98 mile an hour fastballs and a wicked slider that no one can square up. As long as Lawrence can control himself, control his pitches, he's going to, I think he's going to be good. He's got the stuff for it. Over in Los Angeles, the, the uh, National League variety of Los Angeles, uh, Trace Thompson has good numbers on the surface, but I just don't think he's playing consistently enough to warrant uh, playing every day unless it's a daily league and you're you're staying on top of starting him when they start him that's really it for uh, for la and then in san diego i'm still all over trent grisham he hasn't missed a game yet he's still hitting lead off against righties and all the things that i've said on previous episodes still apply the average will probably hurt you but grisham is a good player and he gets a big big bump in obp leagues he hit his fourth home run the other day I I expect him to be productive this year. And rounding out the National League, there's the San Francisco Giants. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to fall for J.D. Davis once again. J.D. Davis has started eight of nine games, and he has hit third or fourth in the last six games. I'm all in. I just cannot quit J.D. Davis. I don't care that he swings and misses as much as he does. He still hits the ball so darn hard. If the Giants are going to give him a chance and let him play every day and let him play in run producing spots every day, I, I expect run production to follow. That's really all there is there. And I think Jordan would be mad at me if I didn't at least bring up Alex Wood. He gets a start at Miami next, which is among my favorite streaming targets. Although as a as a sort of low strikeout guy, I, I wonder if Alex Wood is going to be a bad matchup for Miami but I don't don't hate that start. I'm going to be running it out there myself as a stream in a couple of leagues. And now we're going to take one more ad break before we move over to the AL.
0: Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but the problem is managing your weight needs a long-term solution. And that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight today and in the future. 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N O O M.com to sign up for your trial today. Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, moving over to the AL
1: East. I don't really have anything for Baltimore. It's it's wild how Baltimore has become this... Like, like every, everyone relevant on Boston, sorry, Baltimore is rostered in more than 20% of leagues. Like the only really relevant players who aren't rostered a lot are out of Ramon Urias, who is fine. I, I like him, but he's not great. And I, I mean, that's it in the lineup. And then in the the rotation, there's Tyler Wells, who is a little bit uninspiring and Dean Kramer, who is, you know, same. Yeah, Baltimore's made a a really big transformation over the last year, but it's made them a lot better, but it's made them a lot less fun for us to talk about here on In the Deep. Over in Boston, Nick Pavetta kind of goes in the same bucket in my head as Mitch Keller. I, I wish Pavetta would just be good so that I can stop hearing about how good he should be. Pavetta gets the Angels and the Twins next which are both offenses that I wouldn't necessarily target for streams, especially Los Angeles. But Pavetta does have a a pretty high K upside and a much higher K upside than your usual sub 20% pitcher. So if you're gunning for strikeouts, he might be your guy. Over in the Bronx, Ron Marinaccio, I, I love what he's done so far. And he's a big target of mine in save hold leagues. I'm you know, any league where I'm rostering one or two middle relievers, he's one of my targets. Or any any league where I have a lot of relief pitcher spots. I think he's just good as he is. I think he's going to get you good ratios, good strikeouts, the occasional hold for those hold leagues. And I think he's gold if Clay Holmes gets injured or implodes. I, I I'm I'm not sure what the Yankees have in mind, but he could very easily be the next man up. Now things are getting interesting over in Tampa Bay. I said last week that you should stash Josh Lowe and it might already be too late if you didn't. He continues to absolutely blister the baseball. He has started 3 of the last 4 in center field. And he hit a home run today in a futile effort to try to maintain the Rays undefeated streak. They're they're now sadly in they they now have one in the loss column. But Josh Lowe now has four in the home run column, and he continues to just shine in every opportunity that they give him. And then there's Harold Ramirez. If the Rays figured out how to get both Yandy Diaz and Harold Ramirez to hit fly balls in the same offseason, then I'm ready to vote for the Tampa Bay coaching staff to replace the entire government because they can fix anything. But needless to say, I love Harold And the only reason that he's not a screaming must add now is because he just gets too many days off because the Rays are the Rays and they just have too many quality players. And speaking of quality players on the Rays who are just just champing at the bit to get a spot, Taj Bradley. Now, this is sad for for in the deep because in the deep favorite Jeffrey Springs looks like he's going to be out for a while. But the beneficiary of that is Taj Bradley, who has an absolutely nuclear fastball, which I I always love as a way to start a repertoire. If Springs is out for a while and it looks like that's going to be the case, that makes Taj Bradley a very high priority ad. I already blew 10% of my season long budget in my AL only league to lock down Taj Bradley. Also, he would potentially be a $10 keeper, which... Yeah, any 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 sort of keeper league, and he becomes even more valuable. I don't think there's anything really interesting going on in Toronto right now in our neck of the woods, so we are going to move over to the AL Central. Starting with the Chicago White Sox, Yasmani Grandal still got it. He even got a recent start at DH, which I didn't totally expect, given the uh, the roster composition they've got going on over there in Chicago. I think Yasmani Grandal with health is going to be a top 12 catcher by the end of the year, like comfortably. You know, you can quote me on that. I, I really believe that. Then uh, in Cleveland, there's Aaron Savali, who we talked up in our starting pitcher preview. He should be rostered in more leagues. I don't know why he's not. He just continues to get the job done. The strikeouts or, or lack thereof are not ideal. And there's likely a tweak to be made here with lowering the cutter usage in favor of more curveballs, But I, I believe in Savali to make those tweaks. He's a smart pitcher with a broad repertoire and he has proven himself, you know, willing to switch things up to get the job done. The Guardians have a couple of pitchers, you know, as the Guardians do with their constantly churning out good pitchers. They have a couple of relievers who I'm interested in this year as, you know, just ratio guys, strikeout guys, uh, stabilizers in the bullpen. There's Trevor Steffen, who is kind of a a repeat of last year. He did the same thing last year, and I was a big fan of his. And then there's Tim Heron this year, who, outside of one bad appearance, has been really, really impressive, and it just, you know, it reeks of, well, here, here go the Guardians doing their thing again with relievers. I, I like Tim Herron as a good as a good strikeout arm out of the bullpen. Over in Detroit, Spencer Torkelson is still a stash for me. Uh, I I I would it kill the guy to take a pitch? He's got like a two percent walk rate right now, and it's uh, I I don't love that. I I do not like when players don't take walks ever. I did not think that Torkelson would be that kind of hitter. He will likely get every opportunity to sink or swim. He's still hitting the ball really hard when he hits it. It's just not to ideal places on the field. I, I I think there's a good hitter here, but I'm starting to think that Detroit just isn't the team to unlock that potential. Over in Kansas City, speaking of teams that don't normally unlock potential, Chris Bubich, it's this is another priority ad this week, and I can't believe I'm saying that. Bubich looks incredible compared to the past. He has increased his fastball velo and improved the fastball's profile while adding a wicked slider that he can still take even greater advantage of by throwing more often. It's a wicked pitch, and he's only throwing it like 10% of the time right now. A lot of much smarter people than me are all in on Bubitch right now. So it would probably behoove you to follow suit. I I know I know I am. Over in Minnesota and wrapping up the AL Central, Trevor Larnach just got benched versus the lefty, which is a, a big warning sign for for his plate appearances. This this might be the beginning of the end for the Larnach hype train. His last five games have featured a 105 batting average and a 45.5% strikeout rate. The league may have remembered that Larnock cannot hit breaking pitches. Uh, I I might be cutting bait. I, I did not think that it would be a long ride on the Larnock bandwagon. I was hoping it wouldn't be this short, but I, I might be cutting bait. And then in the infield, there's Edouard Julian. Julian impressed the world during the WBC and then continued to crush in spring training after his team was eliminated. He's basically never not hit and and he's getting an opportunity in the majors finally. I'm giving him a shot in my home league and given the position he plays, he's absolutely worth an ad to see if any of his minor league production can carry over to the majors. Just as a point of reference, I like Julian quite a bit more than I like Spencer Steer. And that, that's not to say that's not a shot at Spencer Steer. I just think Julian is working with better tools, even if, uh, you know, Steer might have more opportunity and a better ballpark. Moving over to our final division, the AL West. Now, you guys know that I love Chaz McCormick in Houston. That has only, <laughs> that love has only grown this year as Chaz has gotten more and more opportunities and has increased his production to match. And he even started running a bit. I did not expect that. That was not part of the reason that I loved Chaz McCormick. Something concerning did happen today. He came out of a game and they, they cited vision as the reason that he came out of the game. That could be bad. It's, it's something to monitor. I I know I will be keeping an eye on it ha, because I have him in two or three leagues, but yeah, uh, If this turns out to be nothing, I think McCormick will continue to be a fantastic, fantastic player in five outfielder leagues. I mentioned Jimmy Hergut before when I was talking about uh, Justin Lawrence. I I still like Hergut as a potential closer in L.A. He did have one bad blow-up appearance, but he's he's I, I still feel like he's better than Estevez Estevez has continued his very wild ways that he uh that he had in spring training he's walking I, I think it's like seven per nine right now in his limited season so far Jose Quijada has a couple of saves but he's a lefty so I don't I, I don't know if that's going to to hold I this might just wind up being a committee and if it's an Estevez Quijada committee I'm going to wind up being very sad over in Oakland I, I just got I just had the immense glee of watching the Mets shellac them I, it was like 16 to 6 or something but something good for Oakland that happened in the game was Brent Rooker hitting his fourth home run of the season already Rooker is already almost halfway to his career high of nine home runs after just 29 plate appearances and he's striking out about half as much as he has in his previous stints in the majors. It's worth a flyer. The power is legit. You know, he he had a 65 raw power rating as a prospect. But like I mentioned before, it's only 29 plate appearances. I would expect the strikeouts to rise. I'd be very surprised if they didn't. With him, it's just going to be a matter of how much contact he can make and how many plate appearances the A's are willing to give him. I don't really have anyone for Seattle, but in Texas, I mentioned before with Yasmani Grandal that Grandal could be a top twelve catcher comfortably. Someone who could join him, Mitch Garver. Mitch Garver has gained catcher eligibility in in leagues that have the uh, the the less strict position guidelines. He's hit the uh, th- three start threshold. And Garver has just such immense power. Like he could very comfortably be a top 12 catcher by year's end, as long as he gets to like, you know, 400 plate appearances or so. And he will have the benefit of DHing a lot because Texas has a very competent catcher in Jonah Haim. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that is our league wide roundup. Uh, Folks, I am sorry that you had to listen to me for 40 minutes straight. I know you usually get some very, very nice breaks of Jordan's dulcet tones as opposed to just me for, for the entirety of the episode, but we made it. As I said before, if you want to reach out to Jordan or myself, you can do it on Twitter. Jordan is at Bunt Singles. I am at Schwebzi, S-H-W-E-B-S-I. Or you could reach out to us on our joint account at InTheDeepPL. That's all for this week. And as always, bye, friends.